Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. We are continuing our series called Bible Study Boot Camp. And basically, the whole idea of this series is to help you understand and apply the truth of Scripture in your life. It's the first two weeks of this series, we talked about uh, the purpose of the Bible, right? The why we study the Bible, why is it important in our life, and how it has authority to shape our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. The last time we met, we talked about developing a biblical framework. And this week, we are going to be talking about the methods in which we study God's Word. Okay, we're going to be talking about how to actually study God's word. And today, you know, in today's Christians, there's kind of a problem that I've observed that I think we all fall victim to fall prey to at times. And that's the fact that we all most of us in here anyway, own a Bible. We've all maybe read our Bible occasionally. Maybe we read it every day. We've all sat under preachers who are preaching the word. But how often, and, and maybe you're even involved in a small group who reads God's word and talks about how to apply it to your life, but how often do we, on our own, actually sit down with God's word, look at a passage, and really study scripture? Think about all the time that you spend throughout the week studying for the classes that you're in, studying for the things that you're, you're involved with, maybe the time that you spend at work to prepare for the job that you are to do. How much time do we actually spend studying God's word? I don't know if we do a good job at it, especially for something that we believe is transformational, something that we believe can change our lives. We don't necessarily spend the time to understand the truth in it and apply it to our lives. And I think it's similar to uh, kind of how we start, started driving. How many of us can drive in here? Yeah, we all, most of us can drive, hopefully. Okay, you guys are in college. <laughs> hope you got your driver's license by now. Uh, but when you first, just imagine with me for a second, just go back in time, you're 16, you're taking the driver's, driver's exam, right? Do you remember how horrible that was? And the guy with body odor just sitting right next to you? And you're just nervous and you're like, wait, where's the Prindle? Oh, there it is. Okay, speedometer. How fast am I going? And you're just observing and making sure that you're do, doing everything right. You're making sure that the method in which you're using, you're looking at your mirror, you're looking at this mirror, you're checking your mirrors twice. Uh, hope that you uh, don't back up into something. Like, you're, you're just doing it uh, to make sure that you don't mess up, right? Now think about when you drive today. How many of us immediately plug in our phones, listen to music, and just go into autopilot to get to where we're going to next, right? How did we get to that point? Well, we got to that point with a lot of time, with a lot of practice, and constantly doing the same technique over and over and over again. Now, this morning, Bible study, when you hear that, you might be like, oh, gosh, I'm not a Bible scholar. I didn't go to seminary. I don't have all this knowledge to be able to read my Bible and understand all the truth that's in there. But if you take these methods this morning, if you look at the, the, the tools that we're going to give you, 
Everybody in this room has the same Holy Spirit as the most educated Bible scholar, and you have all the resources that you need to understand the truth in God's word and apply it to your life. So I hope today, my goal today, is to change how we approach God's word so that we can approach it confidently and that we can see it transform our lives. Because the goal of Bible study is not education, it's life change, right? It's to understand that God has given us this resource to know him, to love him, and to change how we live. Not just to be a smart theologian, but to be a lived theologian, a spiritual person. The Christian life is not one that is solely, merely one that's about spiritual knowledge, but it's applying that spiritual knowledge to your day-to-day life, right? So, Bible study methods. Why am I using that word method? Well, a method is doing certain actions in a certain order to achieve a guaranteed certain result. Not just any action, not just in any order, and not just any result, but a certain Uh, certain actions in a certain order to achieve a guaranteed certain result. And this morning, this is kind of going to be our outline. We're going to talk through each of these three, but we're going to talk about how a proven, the proven Bible study method is observation, interpretation, application. Okay. So whenever you are reading your Bible, these are the three steps. Can we all count to three real quick? One, two, three. We can do three steps, right guys? We can do three steps. So these are the three steps that we can use to understand anything in our, in our Bible, okay? So let's start with step one, okay? Step one is going to be observation, okay? Now, who has heard of uh, this detective? I'm trying to remember his name. Sherlock Holmes, has anyone Heard of Sherlock Holmes? Okay, so Sherlock Holmes, greatest detective of all time. He doesn't exist. But what he would do when he was solving these fictional crimes is he would show up to a crime scene, right? He would look around. He would study the victim. He would study the place in which the crime happened, right? He would make all these observations. He would ask all of these questions to fully understand what happened. And before he ever jumped to a conclusion or knew who the killer was, he did all this legwork, all this groundwork to understand the situation at hand, right? It laid the foundation, his observations, right? What he was observing, it laid the foundation to the questions that he would ask the suspects, right? It laid the foundation for uh, the, the things that he would pursue, the information that he would look for. And so observation is this idea of taking an investigative approach to Scripture, okay? It's an attitude of investigation. Whenever we're looking at Scripture, the question that we're asking in observation is, what do I see? Okay? What do I see? That's the question that we ask in observation. How many times, whenever you've been reading the Bible, is your first question not, what do I see? Or maybe even not even what does this mean, but how does this apply to my life? How does this affect me today? How many of you guys have been having a really rough day and you're like, God, I just need an answer. And you just get in this like meditative state and you just open God's word and you're like, this is from the Lord. This applies to my life right now in this context. And for some reason, you're in Deuteronomy talking about sacrifices and you're like, wait, what? I'm supposed to sacrifice a cow? How is that supposed to help me with my final tomorrow, right? How many of us have been in that situation? 
We've all done it. Let's be honest. We've all done it. Now, taking this investigative approach is not saying, how does this apply to my life immediately? But it is taking an investigative approach to say, what do I see? Okay? Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 talks about it like this. Okay? This is Solomon writing to his son. And he says this, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding... Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So one thing I want to focus on is verse 4. Picture this. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Have any of us in here ever mined for silver? Well, I have not. And one thing that I found on Google is that the only way to find silver or mine for silver is open pit and underground methods, okay? The open pit method involves using heavy machinery to mine deposits relatively near to the the earth's surface. And in underground mining, deep shafts are dug into the ground to extract ore. So every stereotype that we have about mining and miners, that's the picture that we have for mining silver. So when we're trying to understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, we have to take an attitude of putting in the work. Guys, God's truth, understanding and extracting the value that we find in it, is not for lazy people. It's not for this attitude of nonchalant, oh, I hope I just uh, get this knowledge by osmosis, right? Where if I just am around my Holy Bible, if I, I sleep on my Bible, maybe it'll go into my brain, right? But it's this attitude of mining for the truth. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's an attitude of studying your scripture. So do you have this attitude when you look at, look at uh, your time in God's word? Do you actually study it? Do you actually seek to find its truth and how it could apply to your life? Or is it a casual thing? If we truly want to find the truth, we have to have this investigative attitude. So what are we investigating? That's the question, right? What are we investigating? Well, whenever we look at a passage, we should look at its structure, okay? Now, what do I mean about looking at its structure? Well, if I'm in the middle of John and all of a sudden I'm at the crucifixion, do I think that's the beginning of the story, the end of the story, or the climax of the story, right? Or if I'm in Romans and I'm in Romans 12, is that the middle, the end, or the beginning? All these things, understanding the context in which it is in the story, helps us understand the author's intended meaning. You see what I'm saying? So if we look at the structure of the passage, and not only the structure of where it is in the story, but also the structure in terms of the type of literature that it is. And that's the second, is the genre. Okay, so has anyone taken English? Does anyone know what genre is? Genre is a category, right? It is a type. So if you read, let's say, the book of Matthew, which is a narrative, a gospel account, like you read Revelation, would you understand what Matthew was talking about? If you took everything in Matthew as figurative or uh, this idea of symbolism, if you took that, attitude like you do with Revelation, would you understand the truth? The the answer is no. 
because Matthew is a different type of literature. And I want to illustrate this with, do you read your history textbooks the same way you read Harry Potter? No. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is Harry Potter in any respect, but I'm saying there are two different types of literature that achieve two different types of goals. Okay? So I want to walk through a few of these types of literature okay, or genre that's within the Bible and give you examples of what they might be. Okay? So a narrative is something that is a story, right? It's got characters. It's got a plot. It's got basically it's telling a full story. This is uh, things like the gospel, uh, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, okay? It's a story of Acts of the Apostles or the Holy Spirit. And then you also have Genesis to Ezra, okay, which is Israelic, uh, Israeli history, okay? And then we have apocalyptic, right, which is the book of Revelation. That's dramatic. It's got symbolism, things like that. Parables. Do you know who told parables? Jesus, right? A lot of his writings or, or a lot of the stories of Jesus have this moral truth found within this story, right? We also have poetry, which is verse intended to be spoken or sung. That's Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Job, okay? Uh, oftentimes, they're called wisdom literature in which we can get wisdom from these books. Uh, we also have prophecy, right? the major and minor prophets, Isaiah to Malachi, okay? These are uh, not just people who are telling the future, which is often what prophets are mistakenly referred to as, but it's instead of foretelling, it's more like forthtelling. They are speaking on behalf of God, okay? So the message that they are telling to their people at that time is authoritative as if it has the force of God's own speech, okay? So that's prophecy. And then we have wisdom literature, uh, which is Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and various Psalms include this, okay? So, before you ever dive into any passage, it is helpful to understand its genre. Why is that? Because if you read Romans, which is an argument, or he's basically trying to uh, argue for certain ideas, if you read that like you read prophecy, you might not understand it completely. So it gives you context. It gives you understanding for what the author is trying to say, okay? And the last part in observation is context. Context, context, context. This is the most important part of observation, and it's this idea of understanding how is this section, this small section of Scripture, contextualized in a lot of different ways. So you've got literary context, right? So... What is this passage in the flow of the argument? Okay, I was reading through Matthew, and at the end of one of the chapters, it says, you will not see Jesus until you see him in glory. Uh, see him again until you see him come back in glory. And I was like, wait, these disciples died before Jesus returned. Well, the very next chapter was the transfiguration, or when Jesus appeared in glory along with Elijah and Moses. Okay? So if you don't have the context, if you don't have the context of what comes before and what comes after, you can miss the intended meaning, right? You can miss what the author is trying to get across. How many times have you seen an athlete write Philippians 4.13 on their sneakers, right? Or put some verse on the back of their jersey or whatever, right? Well, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, reads a lot different when you understand that it was written by Paul 
in jail, right? It was written by someone who was in jail and he was talking about suffering. He wasn't talking about dunking on your opponent, right? Totally different meaning, okay? So uh, a big part of understanding the literary context is trying to read not only for depth, in which you really go into a passage, but also for breadth, right? So reading whole swaths of scripture at a time so you can identify the big idea, identify the theme. So if you can identify the theme and the big idea, what happens when you're reading a small section of scripture, you've got a lens to look through this message, right? Does that make sense? So if you're able to identify the literary context, you can identify its meaning within that context. But you also have situational context, right? What was the setting? Who was writing this? And what life setting were they at? What was the culture like? What was the geography like? All of these things can help you understand the meaning, okay? So uh, we were going through First and Second Corinthians in our small group last year. And one of the things that we came to was this passage that talked about how women weren't supposed to uh, wear any jewelry in, in, uh, in the assembly, basically. And we were like, why was Paul saying this? This seems super, like, sexist. What is going on? And then it was talking about men not trying to be women. Well, if you look at the culture and the context of it, of it all, you understand that Paul was trying to identify an issue in which men were trying to be women and women were trying to be men and taking on roles that were not defined for them. Okay? And so understanding the cultural context can help you identify meaning. Also, you've got theological context. This is a really good one, and this comes with just hammering out, understanding, and reading out your Bible. Okay? So where does this fit in the story of God? Okay? Where does this fit in the story of God? Believe it or not, Moses didn't have all the knowledge that Paul did. Right? But God still used him, and the scripture is still authoritative, but it's still read in light of what we have now, right? We're given this gift of the New Testament in which we read the Old Testament through the lens of, okay? So theological context, where does this fit in the story of redemptive history or uh, in terms of just the theological context in the story of God? Okay, so all these things are ways in which we can better observe the text, right? Better observe what is going on. So notice all these things that we're looking at. Before we ever ask the question, what does this mean? Or how does this apply to my life? What are we asking? We're asking, what is here? What is here? What is given to us to see and to observe? To, to spend time in this section of Bible study takes a lot of humility and patience. But the more time that you spend in observation the less time you're going to spend in interpretation and application. It's going to make a whole lot more sense when you understand the context in which it's written, okay? So uh, before we jump into interpretation, which is the second one, I want to read the story of the road to Emmaus. But I'd love for you guys to read it along with me. Uh, this is Jesus encountering the disciples, and he's uh, basically helping them understand what has happened in the context of the Old Testament, okay? It is Luke 24, verse 13 through 27. It's a lot of scripture, but it's a really entertaining passage, okay? It's really good. So if you guys will turn there for me. Luke 24, 13 through 27. All right, I'll go ahead. 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. How ironic. They're talking about Jesus to Jesus. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they understood that the Old Testament, the prophets were all talking about Jesus, right? They were all talking about this Messiah, this Jesus. And here we see an important aspect of biblical interpretation, okay? Don't miss this, guys. This will change the game. That Bible that you guys have in your hands, guess who it's all about? It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. We have to read the Bible with the person of Christ, the work of Christ, at the center of our interpretation. If we don't, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss how it applies to our life. If we don't have the context of Jesus, and if we don't understand the person of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, then the Old Testament, the New Testament, none of it will make sense. Jesus is the lens of interpretation. Okay? So if it, observation is asking, what is here? Then interpretation asks, what does it mean? Okay? Interpretation asks, what does it mean? The more time spent in observation, the less time in interpretation. So with that in mind, let's look at some interpretive principles, okay? Some principles that we can have whenever we are reading scripture, trying to understand its meaning, okay? So I have two do nots. The first one is do not misread the text. Do not misread the text. How many times have you been in a theological debate with someone and they just say, you know, Jesus, whenever he says, I'm a way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, and they just say, I am a way, that's misreading the text, right? Because it says, I am the way, the only way. Or when someone says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Is that what that says? No. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So don't misread the text, because then you cannot get its meaning. If you misread the text, you're not going to get what the intended author, the author was, had with his intended meaning. The next is, do not contradict the text, okay? So when we look at the garden, and we look at what Satan says to Adam and Eve, he is contradicting God. 
God will never contradict himself. God will not contradict himself. So in his word, if we don't understand, if we don't see how it all fits together, okay, that's not a reason for doubt. It's a reason for investigation, right? It's a reason for looking at his word and finding the truth within it, right? The next is to do's, okay? So do, understanding the meaning of the text is in the text, okay? God did not give us his word so that we would be confused. He did not give us his word so that we would be confused. But he has given us this entire story that paints a beautiful picture of redemption. And we have all that we need by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the word of God to understand what is inside. So whenever you're trying to find, find the meaning of a text, read the text, read the text, read the text, okay? There can be a variety of implications to the truth, right? There can be a, var- a variety of applications, but there is only one truth. There is only one truth, okay? The next is use primary sources first and secondary sources second, right? Okay, so how many of you guys, when you're trying to understand what something means, do you immediately go to Google, go to your trusted Bible commentary, go to the margins? We have an attitude of laziness when it comes to understanding scripture, and we let everyone else do the work for us instead of trying to understand scripture first. And we, instead of letting scripture interpret scripture, let R.C. Sproul interpret scripture for us, or we let Tony Evans interpret scripture for us, or we let Andy Stanley interpret scripture for us, and we let these people shape our thoughts and our opinions instead of the word of God. So if we are not letting the word interpret the word, but instead letting these commentators interpret the word for us, we have sacrificed the the blessing of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is to interpret scripture. One of the things that we have, if we have trusted in Christ, is that the scripture is able to find, we're able to find the spiritual, spiritual truth within it because we have the Holy Spirit, okay? So if we are letting God's word interpret God's word, we are more likely to understand the truth than if we just trust what some guy said in a book because God's word is infallible. Commentators are not, okay? God's word is infallible commentaries are not. Now, commentaries are a blessing and a curse, okay? They're a blessing in a lot of ways. That context that I was talking about, commentaries can be very helpful in understanding context. They can be very helpful in understanding what was going on at the time, what the people were like. But if we rely on it to understand the meaning of scripture, and that is the only way in which we know how to read the Bible, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves, right? Because you're at that point, reading a commentary's opinion rather than the word of God, okay? All right, commentary should help you evaluate your interpretation, not shape your interpretation, okay? Lastly, let's talk about application, okay? This is the good stuff. Application, it's all good, but this is the fun part, right? Okay, so this is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, interesting. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what does it mean if it's useful? Well, that means that the truth has a purpose. The truth, the meaning, has a purpose. Okay, so that means that all of Scripture can apply to your life. 
even Deuteronomy, even Leviticus, even Revelation. How is that possible? It takes a little bit of work, but if we can observe, interpret, then we can get to application, okay? Then we can get to application. Too much Bible study, too many small groups end with what does it mean? But the goal of Bible study was never just understanding. It was transformation, okay? The goal of Bible study is not just education. It is transformation. By the power of the Spirit, His words change us. They change us. They should change how we live, guys. It should change how we live. So how do we move from intellectual theologians to lived theologians, spiritual people? How do we make that transition? Well, the biblical truth that we are understanding and interpreting and getting the meaning out of, we apply the truth to our day-to-day lives. That is what application is, applying truth to our day-to-day lives. Now, we all have our pet sins, right? We all have areas of our life where we're like, God, I don't want you to touch this. You can touch my family, you can touch my relationships, but you can't touch my school. You can't touch my work. Or maybe it's one of these other categories. You can't touch my political opinions. You can't touch my free time. You can touch these other things, but you can't touch these things. But what does James 1, 21 through 25 say? Shanae read it earlier. Let's read it together and think about it through the lens of application. Therefore, get rid of some, oh, sorry, get rid of all moral filth. Sorry about that. And the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in in you, which can save you. Do not merely what? Listen to the word. Okay, preachers, right? And so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Interesting. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many of us have done this? Where we read the word and it tells us to be honest or something and then we lie to our mom or dad or to our roommate. Hey, did you forget to put up your clothes? No, 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 I did that later. I did that yesterday. Did you forget to da-da-da-da-da? Oh, no, I took care of that. Do you have any homework tonight? No, no, I don't have any homework, right? It applies to all areas of our life, doing what it says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So how do we apply the text to our life? There are five ways, guys. There are five ways we can apply the text to our life. Number one is know the text, okay? This is what we've talked about all morning so far, is how do we understand the meaning? If you don't know the meaning, you cannot apply it to your life because you're applying a falsehood. If you don't know the truth, if you don't know what it means, then you're applying a falsehood. The application doesn't make any sense because it's founded on a foundation that is rocky, that is not solid. Number two, know yourself. And you might be thinking, Kevin, that's lame. I don't need to know myself. I just need to know the text and just apply it to all areas of my life. Well, how can you apply it to your life if you don't know where you struggle, if you don't know your biases, if you don't know the things that maybe you're protective over, right? 1 Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. It says, watch your life. 
Romans 12.3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. We are fallen people, guys. The lens that we have is broken. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit revealing its truth so that we can live a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. If we don't know our life, how can we change? How can we go from the old creation to the new creation? If we don't know our proclivities to sin, then how can we kill that sin? Number three, contextualize scripture to your life, okay? This is the personal application. This concludes all of your relationships, your relationship with God. How do I love God? Your relationship to yourself, how do I live? Other people, how do I treat others? School, work, sin. God has the right to change how we live, how we think, how we believe. And how does he do it? Well, scripture exposes sin. It gives explicit commands, and it gives us examples to follow. That's how we see how it changes our life. It exposes sin, gives explicit commands, and practical examples to follow. The next is uh, think about it, okay? Think about it. Think about how it applies to your life. Some people call this meditation. This doesn't mean going on Instagram or TikTok. This means actually thinking. It means thinking about it, thinking about it. Joshua 1.8 says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Meditate on it day and night. Okay, I've got a, there's a Babylon Bee article. I didn't read it, but I saw the headline and it made me laugh. It said, hold on, let me pull it up. It said this. Parents baffled that one hour of youth group a week not effectively combating teens 30 hours on TikTok. Is that convicting at all, guys? One hour of church or one hour of small group versus how many hours of social media? What's shaping our thoughts? If we're not thinking about things above, if we're not thinking about scripture and we're only thinking about what the world gives us, we're going to be in trouble, guys. We are going to be in trouble. And then the last one is try it out. The community that you have, the believers around you, talk with them and say, hey, this is what I think this scripture means and how I'm going to try to apply it to your life. Not only can they be a sounding board, but they can keep you accountable. They can keep you accountable. Now, small groups, if you're in here, I challenge you guys not just to understand the scripture together, but to see how it applies to your life, to try it out specifically in areas of your life and see what happens, okay? So let's take a moment to recap, okay? We've learned that to truly study our Bible, we have to take a proper method, and that's observation, interpretation, application. God has given us his word so that we might be transformed by the power of the Spirit by faithfully understanding and applying it to our life. And I believe that today, if we use this method, we'll be able to change how we approach God's word with confidence and seeing how it changes our lives. The same Holy Spirit, Spirit that's indwelled all of these commentators, the same Holy Spirit that indwelled Paul, John, Luke, all of these apostles, 
is within you. You have the ability to read scripture, to study it, and see what it means. Okay? Do you guys believe that? I hope you do. I hope you do. You have everything that you need.